Hello to all and welcome to the Western Sports Football Club podcast. We had a bit of a mixed bag on Saturday, but there was certainly late drama involved. Uh, we'll also uh, discuss uh, the FA and what they do in and around the grassroots game. It's Tuesday the 26th of February and with me tonight is Jake Wolfe. So we're going to start off by talking about the reserve team. On Saturday they had a, a trip to Wincanton, who are sort of localish rivals of ours. Um, obviously we played them at first team and reserve team level on a lot of occasions we get there and how was the pitch? Uh, yeah, the um, the pitch was a bit of a leveller to be honest. Um, <clears throat> rightly or wrongly we went there with the attitude that if we if we played to the to the level we knew we could play at um, and match you know the work ethic we put in against people like Tisbury and Mir, we thought we'd we'd uh, we'd roll these to be completely honest. Um, and when we got there the pitch it just you know, it was one of those, it was bobbly, it was horrible, it was heavy. Um, <clears throat> just meant that you had to take that extra touch um, when you're looking to pass the ball. And uh, yeah, slowed, it, slowed the game down for the first half especially. Um, but despite all that, we started, started well and kept them under pressure with balls into the box, whether it be crosses or corners or and, and possession-wise we're, we're on top. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, like I say, it slowed us down, but uh, we were still in, well, in control of the game, um, with, you know, keeping the whole, hold of the ball. We had a little bit of time and space in the middle of the park, which allowed us to switch the ball quite a bit. Um, Isaac was getting on the ball a lot as well, and just in front of the back four, which was nice. Um, and, yeah, we, like I said, like, uh, like you just said, Phil, Balls into the box causing all sorts of issues. They, their keeper had a bit of a tough day, and I think we capitalised on that quite early on. Um, so we, we saw that every time we put the ball went into the box, he wasn't that comfortable in the air, even though he was quite a big lad. So, like we, like we should have done, we started sticking some more crosses in the box. In, a, in the end, one of them, and it is a cross. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the goal. Someone claimed their first goal of the season. Uh, I'll let you explain who it was, who it was, and how it came about, but. Should it be his or should it be taken off him for it blatantly being across? Um, as to my disgust, um, the, the ball, uh, ball coming from a corner um, as one of the many dangerous corners we had in the first half. Somehow it got cleared out. Noodles, Nat Carney, stood on the edge of the area. Well, actually, just actually, to his credit, it was just inside their half. He's gone to cross it back post, has hit it too hard and has and gone straight over the keeper. So... Uh, I don't think it should be his because it was a blatant pass. I think we should attribute it to an own goal to the keeper, but that's my opinion. Um, it was it? Was it? Does he deserve a bit of credit for getting his long-range pass within 20 yards of its intended target? Um, well, for Noodle, yeah, because everything with him is a guessing game. But no, no, all, all credit to him. He put the ball in a box, which we all said to do. Um, and you know, sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes it flies in the top bin. So fair play to him. Okay, and I think we had a, a few other chances in the first half but couldn't take one. I think uh, Isaac had a particularly good one where he beat a couple of players maybe and uh, nearly scored. He, um, he I, I think from right, right he, was, he got the ball in the, he got the ball, drove into some space, which was fantastic, and they didn't have a, uh, a midfielder around him. <coughs> so rather than him having a shot, I was stood to the right-hand side of the centre-half. He squared it to me, I took a touch and tried to play it across to Luca, who stood waiting for us, and then one of the defenders got across and blocked it. But we had countless of opportunities from corners, so we were getting the ball in Dicker, but we're having a lot of joy, um, but just couldn't put it away, unfortunately. I think Rory could have had one that was quite... Uh, quite an easy opportunity but I think he just spurred it wide um, but yeah the first half we, we were on top without creating too many clear cut chances to be honest 
Okay, so we got to half time with one nil up. Um, what was the the management's view on the half, and what was uh, what was the outlook and the, the tactics for the second half? Uh, much much of the same, really. I think it was just a, it was a case of relaxing on the ball, getting it down, playing the football we could play, keeping the pressure up because when we pressed, they didn't they didn't like it, um, and patience. Really, the, the goals w- were going to come. We knew that. It was just a case of being you know being sharp, back, you know at the back. Um, Making sure people, you know, we stayed solid. Burton, Dicker did a great job of that, and then biding our time, creating the opportunities, relaxing when we came to the final third, and the goals did come in the end. So the second goal came just after the hour. Um, move resulted in Charlie picking the ball up in the box and was brought down. Yeah, once again, another. Uh, I think it was either a set piece or a corner come into the box. It's scrambled down. Um, Gaze managed to get the ball, but facing away from goal. Um, and very cleverly, as the defender's running out to like shepping him away from goal, he just stood his ground, just stood there, took the contact, went down, won the penalty, got back up, slide at home very nicely. I see. And very similarly, the third goal, I mean, I guess that wasn't. Yeah. That's the goal, probably made it a lot more comfortable being 2 0 up, gives you that second gap and gives you the opportunity to go and hunt for more. And the, the third goal came in the same way. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was a bit more of a blatant one, to be completely honest. Isaac, I think Isaac got the ball on the on the right hand side of their box, um, and by this point, they were they were tiring. I think they'd weathered a lot of the storm, and with us not taking chances, but still creating a lot. Um, and their, I think it was their left back, Isaac's cut inside, and it's it's an absolute stone mortar. He's mullered him. To be fair, he didn't protest. No one protests. It was just straight to the And um, Isaac had been playing well all game and deserved a goal. So absolutely rightly, we gave the ball to him, and he did the business as normal. Okay. That's good to have two different people happy to step up and take penalties. Uh, one thing to say, in between the two penalties, I think we counted were reduced to ten. Yep. Was there, and that was a, for a straight red card from the referee. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, so we the ball was playing in the middle, so it was me, uh, Joe Jarvison at this point, I think that had come off injured. Um, uh, so it was me, Joe and Isaac in the middle. Uh, we were quite close to each other, it was quite unusual. We, we, it, was, it was coming, you could sense it was coming, because the ball kept coming to one of us, and we kept just nicking it away from the third player, and just nicking it away. I managed to just poke it to Isaac. Isaac tried to scoop over the um, oncoming player towards Joe. Joe has got it really quick feet knocked it away from him and this lad has come in and it, it's a bad tackle uh, but you know if it's you know if it's in the prem and you watch on the replay they go straight red all day personal opinion that tackle gets made all the time I would say it was a yellow card I felt I would, but the referee was very keen to get the red out you could see him marching straight over hand in a back pocket it was coming but it, it, I thought it was a bit harsh on that on them and then, then from that moment on although we didn't score the goal it was just a case of professional performance I would say uh, kept the ball well um, <clears throat> Dwayne came on like I said Joe came on um, I think um, I'm trying to remember who the last sub was Oh, Brandon Scott, Brandon. Brandon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brandon came on, and yeah, I think it was just it was nice to get all fourteen on a pitch, and all fourteen lads playing well was was really good as well. And I think what's uh, particularly pleasing from a from a club perspective, you in the starting lineup, you had four current under eighteen players in Dan, Rory, uh, Isaac and uh, Luca as well and I also had a, had a look to the team sheet and I, although not currently playing under 18s I reckon there's at least five 
players in there who have also previously played for our youth sides and are currently playing the reserves. So, I mean, it's a good good outlook for the club that the sort of production line is working and people are coming through, and that's how we're producing our players. Absolutely, um, I think it's been one of uh, Western's traits now for a number of years. Our our youth sides are generally quite good, um, and the quality of the of the lads that played not only this week but the week previous against Cranbourne was was brilliant uh, you had Sam Fuller playing for, against Cranbourne as well who was really good <clears throat> but one, one the player I was really impressed with and it shows when he got man of the match was Dan Ewins playing coming and left back to, to be honest didn't realise his left back came on the centre midfield I think for us against Cranbourne came played left back was very very solid um, very composed on the ball a constant outlet for, for me personally in the centre midfield um, yeah I mean it's, it's one of those things Westerns create good youth players and I think Dan looks like he's going to be one of those as well that's good news we certainly could do with some young left backs at the club that wouldn't go amiss for sure uh, so other results in the Dorset Senior League this weekend was Blanford 1 Tisbury 6 Allendale 4 Dort Sports 1 uh, Corf Mullen 2 Mere 3 Cramble 0 Chickrell 3 Poolborough 5, Broadstone 1 and obviously our result Wincanton 0, Western Sports 3. That leaves Mere Town top of the league by a point but we do have a game in hand. Uh, we are four points ahead of Tisbury but they also have a game in hand so it's fair to say it's very tight at the top. There's, well, we've, still got, there's 24, we've still got eight games to play. Uh, Mere have got seven, Tisbury have got nine. This, this could go any, any way of three, couldn't it? We've got to be right on it to yes. just have a chance. I think um, I, it's it's actually quite a nice position to be in, to be honest, because it's very much in our hands as it, as it you know as you want it to be. Uh, we win the rest of our games, we win the league, and it is as simple as that. Um, I think if we, we win our game in hand, we go to uh, forty-one points, which is two points ahead of me, and then we would go one point ahead of Tisbury if they win both their games in hand. So it is tight, but we've played Mir and Tisbury, we've won and drawn against both of them. Um, our big challenge is this weekend against Blanford, who, although they got beaten by Tisbury 6-1, you don't know which Blanford side is going to turn up because, of, uh, from, from what I understand, they'd, they've got a few military... Yeah. Um, and at the start of the season, we had quite a, uh, a weak inside playing against them. We had JR in goal, for God's sake, so it's, it was always going to be a tough ass. But, so we're playing this weekend, I think, uh, Blanford and Blanford, Chicker or Corf Mullen, big games for us, but games that are very winnable. So... I actually feel very confident. Um, we're in a different position than we were in last year when we were similar time. Similar time last year, we were in a similar position, but we were in the cup. Like I said, we got all the way to the County Cup final last year, so we had more. We had more to compete with um, and high, harder games. I think we've got an easier run in, and we've got players coming back. Flem's coming back. You've got Payner coming back to the first team, which may mean that someone drops down. So I feel very confident about the rest of the season. Excellent. So we're looking for a, certainly an entertaining running. If you can get down and support the reserves at all between now and the rest of the season, that would be great. They've got a lot of home games coming up, so it would be great to see a, a title running and a title comp- competition happening down at Alvington very much so between now and the end of the season. So please get down and support if you can. OK, the first team were away at Gillingham. Uh, this is obviously always going to be a tough game. It's, it's always a tough game against Gillingham. And this is our first trip to uh, Gillingham's new or stadium or facility, whatever you want to call it. The sun was shining. It was a beautiful, balmy February day, something you don't expect. It was 15, 16 degrees. The spectators were in T-shirts. And the, the ground is self-contained with everything you need. It was a, it's a beautiful new facility, uh, great changing rooms, plenty of space, the showers are nice, the 
uh, the tea bar looked fantastic, well stocked and well supported. Uh, the bar after was uh, fantastic and a, a lovely little facility with a, with a rugby on afterwards and the results coming in. Uh, all really, really good. However, once the game kicked off, we did discover the one flaw with this new venue, which was the pitch was pretty terrible, if we're honest about it, and certainly not conducive with the way that um, we normally try and play our football. Uh, and one thing's fair to say is that we didn't really adapt to the pitch and the conditions the way that Gillingham did. They were very quick out of the blocks, uh, had us penned back, and one of the features of our recent games is that we started really well, and, and that wasn't the case on Saturday. Uh, Gillingham had his pen back for the first five or ten minutes at least. Uh, they had a couple of chances, really, one across and at the back stick put over and wide when really should have been testing Sam Watts uh, as a cross call back pulled back to Tim Trevor and six yards out nailed on the score really much of an open goal and blazed it over um, you know nice to see the ex-Westerns youth players thinking of their old side and doing us a favour um, and Gillingham were causing all sorts of problems with corners and we just couldn't sort of get our game going at all or get into the game um, it's a bit of a maybe not prickly affair but the ref was given a lot and uh, eventually Gillingham went down to 10 men with a sin bin. Uh, during that time, Callum managed to get away and flash a shot across goal but didn't quite find the, find the target. Um, we had one little spell in this, during this period where we literally just had our whole 10 men in the box and we were playing in and around and trying to get the little space and get a couple of shots off and it just didn't quite work out and we couldn't find a goal but... Eventually, the, the excitement and the drama came very late in the half. Um, one of the Gillingham players received the ball in the box, tried to turn, and Barrett was close to him. He went down, and the referee blew uh, for a penalty. It looked very soft. It felt very soft. Barrett didn't help our cause by being sinbin for arguing about it. Uh, so, off he goes. Uh, and the penalty was calmly dispatched, and we're 1-0 down at half-time. Obviously, Ben had a few words and quite rightly just saying, look, you're not, you're not playing the conditions. You've got to adapt. You've got to be a little bit more direct. You can't play the football you want to do. You can't run with the ball like you want to do. And you've got to try and get a little bit better and, and, and play the way you can. And we certainly were better in the second half. Um, I would say that there was one... It's, it's difficult to say that Gilliam didn't really uh, trouble us second half. As such, we were kept them at bay for most of the time however they did have one glorious chance or three glorious chances but as they all came in the same instance and Sam Watts making an absolutely phenomenal triple save uh, to keep us at 1-0 down you know that's potentially a, a match saving moment but that was the only chance they had in the entire second half and again we had lots of possession and we were up there and we were sort of probing and prodding without creating too many chances the keeper wasn't having to work very hard to keep us out but as a team they were uh, then I guess did come one fairly major controversial moment there's a lovely ball over the top um, I'm afraid I can't remember who it's from but Adam Barrett running through from midfield brought the ball down beautifully gets off a shot the keeper saves it it bounces out and Adam Murphy running on in sweeps home the ball to equalise or so we thought all of a sudden the referee's flag is up um, we didn't really quite understand where that came from because when Barrett the flag didn't go up when Barrett went through, so you presume he's on the side. He runs through, he gets a shot off. There's still no flag, it's saved. The ball rebounds out. Alex Murphy is behind Barrett. He's coming in and still behind Barrett when he shoots. He scores and the flag goes up. So 
we don't understand how he could possibly have been offside uh, unfortunately so um, maybe that's just our lack of knowledge but I'm going to have to say from our point of view we feel that this is a mistake and it cost us a goal and at that point probably with 15 20 minutes to go you'd feel that if that had gone in then we could go on and do this but obviously it wasn't to be uh, Murphs was uh, obviously fairly incensed and was invited to spend the next 10 minutes contemplating his thoughts on it from the bench uh, which he duly did however once again in, just as there was in sort of injury time in the first half and injury time in the second Murphs is back on the pitch in this case um, the ball goes into the box goes into Murphs he falls over grabs over the ball and the referee points to the spot um, I think it was soft if we're honest about it uh, but we thought theirs was soft so maybe it was the referee making up for their penalty maybe it was the referee realising that we should have scored when it was given offside I don't know or maybe he genuinely thought both were penalties but from our point of view both penalties were soft however more drama to follow the goalkeeper was furious with the penalty decision and managed to get himself sin so we had to wait around for several minutes while um, well, it's not a substitution, but they faffed around and the keeper took his shirt off and someone else had to come on and put a shirt on and change this and change that. And eventually, several minutes later, Ant has to step up and with complete calmness, I think on a last minute change of mind, if we're brutally honest about it, managed to send it, smash it down the middle, the keeper moving out the way of it. So one all, into, we're already in injury time and within... Not very long of the of the kickoff, probably less than a minute. The referee blew for a full time. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to class that as two points dropped in a in a potential title race, which certainly is. But if you look at it from purely the perspective of the game and being one nil down as you go into injury time, you definitely could also look at it as a point gain. So uh, swings and roundabouts. We got to pick ourselves up and go again next week and. It's a cup game, so we get a chance to have a little rest from the league and it's a senior cup quarterfinals away at Timsbury, so we're all looking forward to that one. The results in the DPL from the weekend were Blanford 4, Shaftesbury 1, Dortsports 2, Swanage 2, Hamrek 4, Balti 2, Holt 2, Parley 2, Portland 1, Cobham 4, Sherbourne 3, Bridport 4 and Wareham 1, Stern Newton 1. That leaves Hamrek four points clear of us. Uh, at the top of the table and we are one point above Swanage so uh, sorry Swanage we are one point above Cobham Uh, so it's a bit less tight at the top than it was Uh, and we need once again whereas it was technically in our own hands before the weekend it is now out of our hands we do still have to play Hamrek at home um, but we're also relying on somebody else to to come around and and give give them a beating for us Okay, also at the weekend, the under-18s completed a 4-2 victory. Uh, Alvington with two goals from Sam and one each from Malik and Lewis, who put in a man-of-the-match performance. And if you look on our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook, you'll be able to find a video of one of Sam's goals on there, which is a very nice header it is as well. Okay, so this week, I received, as a football administrator, I received a survey from the FA asking me various questions about what I think they do or don't do or their influence on the game. So, as someone who has less um, involvement, shall we say, in, in terms of administration of a football club and what they do and what, what we do and what they do, what do you think that the FA does for grassroots football? Um, 
I mean, you, you asked me the question before, and I've tried, been trying to have a think about it because I knew this question was coming. I'm, I'm not too sure, really, um, at the moment. I think um, if, they, if they're trying to do things at the top, it's not filtering down to the bottom. Uh, it's not so much in the in the leagues that we play, we find ourselves in, because I think we're, we're quite fortunate. Not not in terms of um, in terms of conditions because like we've talked about we talked about two pitches today that have both had poor surfaces but you're still playing at teams like Wincanton and Gillingham who have some fairly decent facilities but when you start kind of look outside of outside of the Dorset League and you know we're based in Yeovil so even if you look at the Yeovil Prem more and more teams are folding um, I think the conditions that some people play in some people get changed in are just atrocious I, um, youth football it seems to be um, you know, neglected somewhat as well. Um, yeah, I, like I said, if they're making changes to the top and making investment at the top, it's definitely not filtering down to the bottom. Okay, so who who runs who actually runs football at our level? So Dorset Premier League and the Dorset Football League is that the FA or is that someone else? Just this is just a, this is what who do, who do you think it is? Is it is it the FA or is it someone else? This is a, a um, I, well, I think it was I think it was someone else, but I imagine there must be some influence from the FA or something. Yeah, so the so the Dorset Premier League is a separate committee as the Dorset Football League is separate. There's nobody from the, or there may be an odd person who's involved in the FA involved in the Dorset Football League, um, but in terms of administration of our leagues, they are not involved. Uh, they certainly overview them as they overview a lot of things and as to go higher up then the FA is obviously responsible for the Premier League and the Football League is responsible for the Football League and mm-hmm. field us down and then it goes down and there's different people who administer different leagues um, so if they're not administering stuff in the grassroots game they still are they still responsible for it do they impose stuff on us do you think the laws and legislations is that theirs to call? Um, I don't know if it. I don't know if it's theirs to call, but considering it's the you know the, the, the Football Association of England, so that you know the titles there, they should be involved in all in all levels of football. It's you know, like I said, it's grassroots football is at the stage now where it's it's abysmal. Even from when I was younger and my old man was playing, it's it's changed so much and there's there's so many there's so. So it's less so little teams now, and it's and the more teams are following every year because they haven't got the resource. They haven't. Like, we're quite fortunate as Western's Football Club uh, that we've got good resource, and we we've got like yourself driving, driving funding, driving uh, comedy nights to drive uh, money for the club. But like I said, that's you doing that. That's not the FA. Considering how much money there is in football, obviously you argue where it where it actually comes from and where it goes. The fact that. We are, you know, we're not supported to the level that we should be. Is a bit of a joke, to be completely honest. So there are these people sat in the FA who are, who well, they are. Let's put it this way: they are responsible for a football in its entirety. Entirety. Uh, in terms of the administration, they only administer it at the the top level. Uh, they have county associations who overview, for example, the, the Dorset Premier League technically reports into the Dorset Football League to, uh, the Dorset FA to a degree um, but in certain of the administration it runs itself uh, but it has to affiliate to Dorset FA so you've got all these people from the FA who are not running leagues they're not administrating them but they are 
ruling on them. They are saying, you must do this, you must do that, you must have this, you must have these qualifications, you must have these facilities. But it's, they're looking at it from afar. Are they in an appropriate position to make judgments on grassroots football or are they too far apart from it? Uh, well, yeah, yes, it's a simple answer. They are too far apart from it. You, you, can't, you can't make decisions on something that you don't know enough about. Um, and that, that goes for absolutely anything in life. So if, 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 if they're going to start ruling decisions like they do, they should absolutely be involved at the, you know, at the, at the grassroots level, at, you know, on the ground. They should be um, <clears throat> trying to find out you know all the issues that are ongoing with each and every league. Um, the, like I said, the Dorset it's a bit, a bit different. It is administered administered by someone, um, by an independent group of people. But at the same level, that you know, you should have someone from the FA who can try and understand the issues, so then they can report back to the highest possible level for then some some appropriate actions to be taken. So some of the questions I got asked, asked in this questionnaire was. Um, you know, do I do I think the FA uh, ensure child welfare throughout the uh, throughout the throughout the leagues? And I mean, do you within our club do you do you see anything to do with child welfare? Do you think it crosses your mind? I mean, you, have you heard it mentioned? Um, I, I suppose the, the only times well, when I've co- had quite a lot of experience coaching football myself, especially at youth level, uh, coaching Plymouth and coaching a uh, a grassroots team. Um, so I'm quite, you know, I've had to do my welfare checks and all that sort of stuff when I was coaching. So, but in terms of Westerns, I don't I don't see that because obviously being a player, but I would imagine that's enforced by by yourself and by, by Al uh, making sure all the parents and all the coaches have the appropriate levels of welfare uh, um, but uh, in terms of the FA I don't think the FA would enforce that at all uh, well oddly the, um, the FA do enforce that via Somerset FA because we have to um, we have to be a chart standard club to be in the Dorset Premier League yeah. which therefore means we have to fulfil various criteria and you have to have a certain amount of qualified coaches per side, first aiders per side, uh, people who've completed their child welfare and uh, child safeguarding courses uh, per side. And if you're in a certain position, you have to do that. People who've done CRC checks, so they do enforce that because they could, it is an annual check. They could take away our chart standard status, which would mean relegation for both of our two senior sides if we fail to meet it. Um, so do they fund but do they fund it? No, we don't fund any of it. No, we have to pay for it all. It all comes from our club's money to pay for the courses and the uh, qualifications and the CRCs. It comes from our people's time to do the courses, to fill in the forms, whatever it might be. Travel to Glastonbury, do a three-hour course, travel back. You know, there's no payment for that. It costs the club money, it costs our people time, and there is no funding on top of that. So, And another question I got asked was, do they provide facilities? What do you think the answer to that one is? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a no. Obviously, like we said, we've talked about it before. Everyone, every club seems to be scratching around trying to find the, the facilities, and and uh, even when they do find them, they are not always up to scratch. And obviously, we've had a situation in the past of, with Westerns where we've had our facilities essentially taken away from us, which left us in a, in a particular position. Um, so no, no to that. Um, and I think that, but that kind of goes back to the previous point as well. There, there's an expectation that you have to be at a certain level with qualifications and and um, certificates. Yet they're not willing to provide some level of financial support to to clubs to to facilitate that. 
So we, we have had a brief discussion about um, the decline in men's football on a previous pod, so we won't touch on it, but they spend £50 million a year, or they have spent £50 million a year for a few years, on trying to decide from why the men's game, 11-side game, is declining, and there's, there's lots of reasons for it, and we have talked about them, but would that £50 million have been better invested a year for a few years, so let's say £250 million, would that have been better invested in providing... Uh, I don't know how it works out, but you've got to be able to get 250 million. You've got to be able to get 500, 600 or more astroturfs, full-size astroturfs out of that. Would it have been better providing facilities? Would it have been better putting coaches through some courses and providing them for free instead of continually asking clubs to fund themselves, to continually ask them to look after their own facilities? Just any help to, to clubs overall instead of wondering why it's going? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think um, the the all weather pitches is would is an interesting one. Well, if we've seen it in Yeovil, we've got four, I think, four yeah, or five. Yeah, yeah, fully booked constantly. Um, so the you know the, the need is there, um, and I imagine the, the 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 amount they charge for for use of them, they'd be able to pay them back, pay them off pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, I think certainly if you you football you it's one of those things I think it's because the investment wouldn't re, wouldn't be repaid as quickly but yeah absolutely they, I mean you look at you look at Spain and Germany and uh, France so they have I think they have 5000 A level coaches we have about 300 so straight away there's an issue there um, okay well I can add to that um, the cost of a A level coaching course in this country is about two grand the cost of it in Spain and Germany is about 200 quid do you think that has any impact on it <laughs> I mean absolutely that's what so, um, yeah, I've had a bit of experience so I did my dissertation on, on a similar topic and yeah it's and you look but you look then you go right to the top obviously we're talking massive scale but look at the success Spain and Germany have had on on international levels that starts that starts right down the bottom we're getting the grassroots coaching right getting more coaches that are better qualified teaching them the right ways to play football and then also having coaches who make football enjoyable like I was the other night like last night I was up playing on Buckers you look to your left you've got kids stood in four rows taking it in turns to run up and kick a ball in a goal which is it's, it's mental that we have got to this day and age and that's still an acceptable level of coaching it ain't and and in Spain and Germany, that like that would never ever happen, and they would laugh at you if, that, if you ever tried to do it. So, we are so far behind because we haven't invested in that side of the game. Well, we're, we're wondering why all the men's football has gone. Let's start right at the bottom. It's going to take a little while, but build around, like I say, sort the facilities out, sort the coaching levels out, and I think it would come eventually. So the FA do administer. If we were to run, if we have talked about it, if we were to run like a summer tournament, we would have to affiliate our tournament to the FA um, because they run football in this country. Obviously, you need people to administer football to some degree or another. To the, we've got the top flight; it's never going to change. But do the FA need to be responsible for every single? grassroots thing if they're not going to invest in it or should they be laying down the laws and deciding what you should and shouldn't do obviously I mean it's difficult to argue against things like child welfare and safeguarding and CRC checks they're all done with the best intent without without question no one's knocking that but how many people should have to have it how can clubs continually afford it what is the right thing if you if the FA weren't involved in the Dorset Premier League Dorset Football League and they just didn't have to answer to them they just were able to continually run themselves would it make any difference would it be better would it be worse would it be the same would anyone know 
I think I think you you're right in the sense that there's there has to be the FA have to be involved in a certain level just because they've got to set some universal rules that make sense across the whole like, like we said welfare child welfare that is a topic that needs to be addressed and needs to be correct across the entire country however once you've done that you kind of as long as you kind of let if you left every county to their own so like I said left daughter to their own and said you set yourself up and you run yourself um, and if but but being able to say if you need help we're here as, a, as an advisory we can come in if you need as consultants or something like that but universal rules absolutely they need to be there apart from that I don't think they do okay I'm not sure we've solved anything but <laughs> good to talk things over anyway right there was a cup final at the weekend um, Chelsea City obviously um, well it's fair to say Sarri did something that people said he would never do he, he changed his tactics slightly he adapted his game things that people thought would never happen they did really well but the one thing we're all talking about is Kepa the keeper um, yeah I, t- to be honest like like I said Sarri's done brilliantly because to go from to go from losing 6-0 to 0-0 is you know obviously Chelsea want to win the game but that is a impressive thing to do considering how badly they were beaten by City but it was a boring game <laughs> let's be completely honest it was a dull dull game until uh, yeah until the last bit I mean First and foremost, Kepa getting cramp is ridiculous. I mean, a goalkeeper getting cramp is just madness. Um, whether he was biding time or not is a different question. However, um, we were discussing with you know mates and other people at work, and basically, if your number gets shown, you've got to come off. Whether you, you know, regardless, at any level as well. If your manager says to you you're getting substituted, you cannot stay on the pitch and refuse to come off. Well, oddly, by the laws of the game, you can refuse to come off. That is the rule. If you've refused to come off, then the referee just has no choice but to play on. Um, however, I'm sure... Uh, that's a little-known rule, obviously, but I'm sure in the professional game there is probably something within their contract which would cover it, sort of, they must represent the club in the best interest and not cause problems, blah, 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 which I'm sure they could put down as a clause to say, if the manager tells you to come off, you come off. Uh, it doesn't quite work at our level, that one, but, you know, theoretically, there we go. I mean, it's like if you go back to uh, Louis van Gaal in the World Cup a few years ago when he took off his keeper and put on Tim Krul for penalties, it's a tactical change, which was something that... It was a tactical decision, and the Holland side knew that before the game. If this game goes to penalties, you're coming off, he's going on. And it's sort of like it's a known tactic. But this clearly wasn't a known tactic, so which is a bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... It was, I think, uh, from from what from uh, from what you hear from the pre- the um, post match interviews, um, sorry, said and and Kepa said it was a misunderstanding. So I think I think from what they were saying is Kepa was in, Kepa, well they thought Kepa was injured, so rightly they warm up Willie Caballero um, and go to bring the player on. Now, my, my opinion of this matter still is even if he says I'm not injured, if your manager says you've got to come off, you walk off the pitch and you have the argument with him afterwards and say. I wasn't injured. Didn't he take off? And he probably goes, "Sorry, I thought you were," and you resolve it afterwards. But the way, yeah, the way he acted is completely undermines. It completely undermines, undermines the manager. He undermines the team, and it also. I feel a bit sorry for Caballero to be honest, because he's kind of been chucked into the middle of something without actually meaning to be. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely don't see how Sarri recovers from this. But given the fact that he's been fined a week's wages or two weeks or whatever you report, you believe. 
we don't really believe it's a misunderstanding, do we? Absolutely not. That this, yeah, that's where if he, if Sari comes out and goes, do you know what? He's he, what he's done is unacceptable. He's undermined me. He's undermined the club, etc., etc. He is going to be punished, but we will handle it internally. Thank you very much. If he says that, then you go fair enough to come out and go. There was a misunderstanding. It's very Arsene Wenger. Oh, I didn't see it. it I mean, it, it makes him look like a muppet, um, and it shows who's got the real power in that ch- in the football club, which is the players, which it always has been. Okay, so on the other, on the flip side of this, the in in general, goalkeepers are a pretty special bunch we know they're a team within a team and somehow despite the fact that you know whenever you see someone playing your position if you're, if you're on the bench and you watch someone playing your position you want the team to win but you want them to have a bad game let's be honest about it there's, there's, nobody looks at it any differently is there Keepers sort of are a different bunch, aren't they? They work closely together all day in training they train together they support each other and it doesn't that doesn't quite that dynamic seems to be slightly different does him refusing to come off with Caballero stood there does that spoil that special keeper dynamic that they have I mean if it was if if he was my mate I trained with every single day and he's refused to come off personally I'd be like right so you don't believe I'm good enough to come on Um, and also yeah I'd be pissed off to be brutally honest I'd be like you've got your number shown you've got to come off let me come on and let me do the job that I can do now Caballero as much as he has some wobblies every now and again and he does he's not a, not the worst keeper in the world and he's he's an ex-City goalkeeper as well so there's a likelihood that don't get me wrong obviously players can change up the penalties but that f- psychologically feels like it would be a one-up So a couple of years ago when City last won this cup Caballero was in goal and he saved was the hero in the penalty shootout he won in the game like you say the fact that he knows the City players and where maybe they take penalties or even the fact that they know he knows where they take penalties and have to change from their normal thing would have perhaps given them advantage and Chelsea have lost that haven't they yeah yeah, yeah absolutely um, yeah all that all that aside um, like I say you look back to Louis van Gaal when he changed the goalkeeper and tactically that would have provided a tactical advantage to to um, Chelsea. Like I said, whether it's City then second guessing, triple guessing themselves, saying do I double bluff, do I triple? Like, it just adds that extra complication to 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 an already pressured situation. Um, but if you took took all that, strip that all away, and just say if a player if a number gets shown, you've got to come off. Um, Sari's reaction as well. In, during the game showed that it was never a misunderstanding which made him look a, like a mug when it came so it does I mean it does look like Sari's in trouble with the the whole the way it unfolded but let's let's put it that way but if you look at look at it another way uh, things things are different and Chelsea is different we know that Chelsea operate in a completely different way although the introduction of Sari suggests that maybe they're trying to change things and the way they play and the way the direction they want to go in so Sari it's his first season. He, he currently has a better record than Pep did in his first season. Is he going to go because of the, the changing room disruption or is they going to go, hold on, Pep built something out of this. Maybe Sarri can as well. I think slight, slightly different managers uh, in terms of their style, in not, not playing style, but in terms of the feel, like what you get from Pep's you see him on the pitch he's, he's run on he's giving people hugs he's giving a little team talk afterwards um, Sari's very he seems quite standoffish for one two different dressing rooms as well City I mean don't get me wrong both got big egos 
obviously there's a lot of money involved in both clubs but Chelsea have got a record of doing this the second they don't like it it feels like they set they take a step back they've done it for Mourinho they did it for Conte um to be fair, they've done it for pretty much every manager before. Um, it just it just feels like there's there's players in their dressing room who, at the flick of, you know, f- yeah, flick of the flick of the switch, can go. Do you know what? Not interested. And the second they do that, the manager then takes the fall, which is wrong. But given that City knew that Pep was coming in for a year, pretty much before he came, because he had the year off, they were buying players that he wanted during that year. Mm. They then spent a fortune when he arrived. They then spent another fortune in the next summer. And they spent a fortune again this summer. Isn't that another reason to keep sorry and let him carry on to purge the dressing room of those problem people? Because he's, he's only really... He's, he's, been able, he's been able to buy Jorginho in the summer. He's got Higuain on loan. That's not the, the, the flip of what, like, the, the amount of players that Pep was able to bring in. You know, he obviously needs to be able to bring in players who want to play that system and give him time to come in and adapt, and he's not had that. So maybe stick with it, give him time to root out those bad eggs and, and see what happens. I, 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 completely, I completely agree. It's, um, you've got to give a manager time. You, if, if you expect a manager to come in the first season and he magically switch it all around, it's just not going to happen. But I think... From, from, I mean, when you're looking from the outside in, because obviously you don't know what's going on, but it, there was a couple grumblings, I think, during the summer transfer where he didn't get the player he wanted because someone basically upstairs was making the sign-ins and he didn't have any say in it. Whereas with City, like you say, the, these were Pep's players they were bringing in. Whether it was someone else doing the yeah, signings... He, he, he had the final say. So it, it felt like there was a bit more of a... Um, a bit more of a togetherness in, in, in the way they went about their transfers. Um, I think there's been a few things, like Sarri's, Sarri's decision to put Kanti out wide, I think is, is, it's one of those things, if it works, it makes him look an absolute genius and everyone's like, God, this guy's, you know, he's better than Pep, how, how on earth would you know to do that? It hasn't quite worked. Um, he has then made some substitutions, like for instance, against United, he brought they were losing the game and he brought on a light for like right back switch just little things like that that don't don't seem to add up like I said if they work they're fantastic you're a genius they haven't worked um, I don't think he should be sacked I don't personally like I said if you can get rid of some of the bad eggs brilliant no manager's done it yet unfortunately so that you know there's something going on there um and if you, I don't think you could be a manager of a foot club and not have a strong influence in the players you bring in. And it doesn't seem like he's got that. No, it's difficult, although I think probably these days, as a club, you need to be clear on your direction and the sort of players you want and the way you want to play because managers change way too quickly. Yes. And you yeah, need to have a club philosophy rather than just a manager's philosophy, which I think is you see the problems that are happening at United, for example, at the moment, yeah. trying to try to become. OK, so... Let's look at the other side of this. City, they're a quarter of the way to the quadruple. Here we go. Yes or no, are they going to win the quadruple? No, no. Okay, which one are they going to fail on? Champions League. Are they going to do the domestic treble? Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what? Yeah, they are. I don't, unfortunately, I don't see Liverpool holding out. To go from nearly being 11 points away and only one now, that is massive pressure. If they do it, fair play, but I, I think City have got them because I think City have just got that. Because their squad is so 
you know, so strong. When they come to that stage where they're playing maybe two, three games in season with Champions League, their second string are so they're so good that they can win a game of football. They've got too much firepower for me. Um, they've won the League Cup. That's already sewn up. FA Cup. Um, Another kind draw. Yeah, yeah, very kind draw. And and to be honest, the only team that I can see them can see stopping them. To be and I, I mean I'm biased to be a United fan, but I think United because it just feels like we've got. But that only that only goes if they, United can get past Wolves with their injury hit squad. True, I'd, but I don't know. I just I've got a feeling that well, I feel like we're going to win a trophy this year, and I think it'll be the FA Cup. So, well, I think it could be the FA Cup. However, money would be on City, and and I see him winning the league. So I think treble could be on. Okay, I, mean, I don't disagree. I, d- I do think the FA Cup's a little bit more open than people give credit for. Obviously, City have to be favourites for the, the squad that they've got, and, the, and the, their second string is as good as most people's first team squad. But I think on their day, obviously, United have to be contenders if they can get past Wolves. But I think Wolves are contenders. I think Watford are contenders. And I think if it really came to it and Brighton got to a final, genuinely, if, in a one off game, we've seen it before, any one of those sides could win the cup. But there we go. Okay, so to finish with, I've got a random question for you. Now, this will check whether you've been listening to the last couple of weeks. Do you want an old one from the last couple of weeks, or do you want a new one? I have a new one. You'll have a new one. Okay, so has there ever been any programme, TV or a film, kids' TV, kids' movie, is there anything on those features that scared you at any point in your life? Do you find any of them scary? Any TV show, any film or anything? No, like preferably kids' TV, but, you know... <laughs> Goosebumps? Is that, was that a show? I don't know. I don't remember Goosebumps. If it, for me, when I was a kid, you won't remember this, Wolf, because it's a bit before your time, but uh, grot bags from Emu used to scare me. I used to hide behind the sofa, but uh, it's probably not your thing. Okay, you won't. We'll leave that one as you don't really have an answer. So I'm going to go back to the first one. What is the largest animal that you could cling film to a lamppost single handedly? Cool. All right. Uh, I reckon a cow. A cow? Yeah, 100%. I feel like if I put my mind to it and I had enough cling film, <laughs> that cow's game. Cows are quite big and strong. Yeah, I know, but I feel like I could lure it there with some food initially and then just cling film up. So I reckon a cow, definitely. Done. Nice and easy. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Uh, you know where to find us by now. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all other good podcast providers. Please subscribe and give us a nice rating. We'd love for you to get in touch. Use the hashtag WFCPod on Twitter or contact us via other social media outlets as Facebook or our website. Our predictor score is still running. At the minute, we have a £1,000 jackpot for just a £1 stake. And you can enter by getting in touch with us via all of those um, outlets mentioned earlier. Or alternatively, any of our players have an entry slip that you can come on board with. £1,000 for just a £1 stake. Can't get better than that. I'd like to thank Wolf for his time this evening. And, of course, to wish the best of luck to all our teams this weekend, especially the under-18s who have a County Cup semi-final away at World on Sunday. So good luck, guys. Thanks for listening.